There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. engine light on take the guesswork out of your check engine light with o'reilly veriscan it's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASC certified master technicians and if you need help we can recommend a shop for you ask for o'reilly veriscan today oh, 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 O'Reilly. auto parts Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 369. And we are back today for our first episode of our Rut Fresh Radio mini-series for 2020, in which we are getting the latest reports from across the country on current deer activity, behavior, and what you need to do right now to fill your tag. All right, welcome to the Wired Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. As you just heard, we are back with a new season of Rut Fresh Radio. If you're new to the Wired Hunt podcast, this is something we do every single year during hunting season. Myself and co-producer Spencer Newharth rock out an extra episode every week of this series in which we get hot intel from different deer hunters all across the country each week telling us you know, what kind of deer activity we're seeing, how are current conditions impacting deer behavior, what types of things right now would be working as far as tips and tactics. That's the kind of stuff we're going to cover. In just a minute, I'm going to hop over to a quick introductory conversation that myself and Spencer Newharth had. I'm on the road hunting Idaho, so you're going to hear me calling in from the phone, but you'll hear Spencer and I kick things off, and then we'll get to Spencer's interviews with four different hunters from across the country, getting all sorts of interesting insights, and then make sure to stay tuned for one of these each Wednesday throughout the rest of the fall. It's going to get you the best updated information you could possibly ask for coming into your hunts. So, without further ado, let's kick it to the intro to this season of Rut Fresh Radio. Ah, uh, Spencer, it is it is good to be back doing a Rut Fresh Radio with you, my friend. Yeah, this this like feels the most normal out of 2020. Like as I shoot my bow and prep for a hunt and look at Onyx, like that's one thing that feels normal in a time of a lot of things and not feeling normal. That is true. And what else is normal for uh, Rut Fresh Radio is me calling in from a pickup truck on my phone while I'm driving back from a hunt. So uh, <laughs> we're kicking it off on a strong note, man. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Yes. But uh, we, we're looking for the freshest, hottest intel anywhere in the world, right? So you can't get it better than really right off the uh, tree stand, right? That's right. That's right. That's why I, I like these calls. 
Yeah. So, you know, uh, anyone listening has already heard my very brief intro giving you the 15-second rundown of what these episodes are all about. Anyone who's been a longtime listener of Wired to Hunt knows what Refresh Radio is about. But I don't know. You've been doing this now four years, Spencer. Is this our season? This is the fifth season. Fifth season? I think wow. I think we started well, in 2016, so 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. That's crazy. So five years in of doing these now, if you were to make the sales pitch to someone tuning into this kind of thing for the first time, now that you've done it for five years, you've got all the experience, you know what this is all about, you know what folks that have listened have thought about it, what's, uh, what's the Spencer Newharth pitch on Fresh Radio? Why should people be tuning in every week for this? Rut Fresh Radio is the most timely deer movement reports that you can possibly get. Um, And in every episode, we're going to talk to four or five experts throughout the country and hear about what they've been doing. We're going to talk about different things like moon phases and weather patterns and crop status and browse status, hunting pressure, sign making, everything that's relevant to a whitetail hunter. We're going to talk about it. We're going to hear about their tips and tactics. And then we also sort of have a forecast on deer movement. And we do this all in about a 30-minute episode to make it super digestible. That's the sort of thing you can listen to on your drive to work or put it on over your lunch break. Um, And you're going to come away hopefully learning something um, and then using the information that you hear our experts talk about and apply it to your hunts coming up over the weekend. And... This is particularly important for a lot of folks right now because there's a lot of opening days that either just happened or are about to happen, right? There's like September 12th, I think, opens in Minnesota or Wisconsin or something like that. And Missouri always opens the 15th. And I don't know, a bunch of states I know are are opening up here pretty soon. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are antsy getting amped to get in the woods and, and want that latest information. So the question then is this, Spencer, do you have the goods to provide the people this week that are going to be hitting the woods for the first time. We have the goods. We, we talked to four hunters this week, uh, Nebraska, South Carolina, North Dakota, and Kentucky, and two of them were successful and just killed deer within the last couple days here. And when I say, you know, that we have like the most relevant timely info, um, I, I genuinely mean it because we're talking to people like you, Mark, that just got in their pickup out of the tree stand, or we're talking to somebody that just got done uh, gutting a buck stuff like that. Uh, but this week we talked to Tyler Jones from the element podcast in Nebraska, Richard peoples in South Carolina, and then in North Dakota from whitetail DNA, we talked to Alex Comstock and then Greg Farrell from first light in Kentucky. Beautiful. Do we have any kind of high level takeaway or do we have something that we should be listening into particular as we listen to these interviews so that we get the most out of it? I don't know that there's like one big takeaway, uh, from this week. You know, something that I think is really interesting is two of the hunters we talked to this week were hunting public land, two of them were hunting private land. And you'll sort of hear the difference in urgency when you talk to those hunters. Um, You know, Tyler and Alex 
we're traveling bow hunters um, out of state on public land, and they're just a little bit more aggressive. Like they're hunting in the mornings, um, and they're looking for sign, and they're getting closer to bedding and things like that. And then you have like Richard Peebles in South Carolina, where he's around these properties a lot more, so it's a lot more conservative approach. Um, and Greg was down at some private ground in, in Kentucky where he can return to if need be. And so I think, you know, this year you're going to have like some of the biggest discrepancy in how aggressive a hunter is based on like if they're traveling out of state, if they're hunting private ground or public ground. Uh, and I'm guessing you'll hear some things, Mark, that are pretty relatable to your early September hunts being in Idaho. Yeah, that's the truth. And I think you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, I don't want to give too much away about the Idaho hunt because the main episode of Wired to Hunt uh, this week is going to be the full recap of that trip. But um, but definitely we have had to approach things in a very different way that I would ever hunt private land that I could, you know, have multiple opportunities at throughout the rest of the year. We've been very aggressive. We've had to do a lot of different things. We've had to hunt mornings. We've had to hunt bedding areas. We've had to... I don't know. I've done just about everything but ride a unicycle upside down. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's been a trip, man. I'll tell you what. My uh, my teaser for tomorrow's podcast is that it has been a trip. Um, but but yes, I am interested to hear what these folks have to say. And, and to your point, not only does weather and time of year and all these different factors influence what you should be doing as a deer hunter and when you should be hunting certain places, but also where you're hunting public versus private. So I think that's something, as you point out, for us to key into throughout the whole year. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, you'll learn that I ask everybody the exact same question at the beginning and the end of the phone call. Uh, and I'm going to ask them to you, Mark, because you've been at this for about a week now. So in Idaho on a scale of one to 10, what do you think the buck activity has been? And then in the coming week, on a scale of one to 10, what do you think that buck activity is going to be in Idaho? It has been a, a 5.75. So I, I say that because we have seen some nice, without giving too much away, we've seen some good bucks and we've seen a good number of deer. Um, but almost all of the movement every day has been in the last half hour to 45 minutes. So it's been very late movement and just a very quick little blip. And you've had to try to take advantage of that. Um, so, so it's a little above average cause we're seeing quite a few, but it's not like rampant. Uh, that's, that's my answer for your first question. And did you already ask the second question? It's yes. Late. <laughs> I don't know if you did. <laughs> so what do I think? Is it going to be moving forward? I think it's going to get better because it has been in the nineties here for most of the week that we've been hunting it's been super crazy hot and a cold front just hit today and so today was the first day of the cold front uh i, I gotta believe it's gonna keep on getting better so i'm gonna give it a uh, a seven moving forward as i think um these deer will be hitting the feed bag and where they've not been crazy pressured i'm sure they've been moving pretty well all right, Mark. Well, I think that's a good teaser for tomorrow's episode, and I think that's a good way to set the table for the rest of our episode in the beginning of Season 5 of Rudd Fresh Radio. Sounds good to me, Spencer. Take it away. Talk to you next week, Mark. All right, and joining us on the line now is Tyler Jones from the Element Podcast. Now, Tyler, in Nebraska, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, man, I'm going to give it a 5, probably. I know that's kind of right in the middle, but 
uh, it depends on really uh, whether you're talking about uh, the rut or whether you're talking about morning or evening movement. The evening movement was a lot shorter lived, it seemed like. The morning movement uh, seemed to last longer, and I think the cool weather had something to do with that. Uh, but, you know, the heat of the afternoon uh, tended to be, you tended to see buck movement right around sunset or a little early if you were lucky. Uh, but it was good. The, you know, the, uh, that early season pattern is something that we were definitely seeing and we were able to uh, kind of gain momentum on. Were you seeing a lot of bucks still in bachelor groups in Nebraska? Not really, no. Um, and we, we hunted a portion of the state, not necessarily just one area. And, and uh, across the board, um, if they were in a bachelor group, that, I mean, we probably didn't see any more than two bucks together um, and lots of loner bucks for sure. Even, even the smaller bucks were by themselves. What food sources were you focused on all week? Um, well, we went into the, to the hunt with the plan to focus on the green food sources like alfalfa and, uh, beans and ended up, um, kind of throughout the hunt, figuring out how heavily they were using corn and all the corn is still up. And, uh, it made it very, very difficult for us. Um, because, you know, typically what you think of, if you hear any kind of media in, in the whitetail deer hunting world, you're talking about a bed to feed pattern and bed being in the day, feed being at night. So in the evenings, you're hunting deer that are headed from bedding to the feed, to the food source, these big agricultural fields, corn fields, for example. But these deer are living in corn, um, and if the corn has a pivot in it, it's got water source for them. And if it's got, you know, and obviously it's got food source for them, and then you've got shade from the heat in those big corn fields, they've got everything they need there. So we almost found like an exact opposite uh, pattern of movement or direction of movement where, um, you know, I was able to get drawn on a deer, um, that was leaving corn in the evening. So they were, it was kind of weird, but they were coming out of the corn in the evening and kind of just doing some, you know, just random kind of exploring, I guess you could say, um, in all the brush and the Creek bottom and the, and the just, you know, grazing pastures and that kind of thing out of the corn. So, um, it was hard to, to put that together with it ingrained in your mind that they're going to bed in the brush and feed in the cornfields. It was the exact opposite. It, it made it difficult. Um, but we did have a pretty close encounter. Were you doing any morning hunts in Nebraska? Um, yes, we did a few. Um, and most of them were of kind of an observation type of stand. Uh, we would try to find, um, a tree that we could see a, a pretty vast area of, and that way we could pinpoint deer going into the corn. Um, if we didn't hunt out of a tree, um, we would oftentimes drive. I bet we drove about half the mornings or a little less and we hunted, you know, the other half. Um, but we would drive, we'd get up on hills and glass and, um, deer were moving a lot in the mornings. I think, um, even in the early season, I totally think, uh, hunting in the morning makes sense. I mean, we had the, the, the morning before we had the buck encounter on this trip, really close range. Um, we actually had that buck at a hundred yards in the morning from, from our tree. So, um, you know, I definitely think it's worth it. Uh, probably worth being, uh, very conservative and careful if, especially if you're hunting a private piece that you don't want to mess up, but, um, you know, probably, probably worth hunting if you can make good plans for it. 
this time of year, did water factor into any of your setups at all? It did actually. Um, we had some, we had two fronts in about five or six days that we hunted. So it was, uh, it was pretty, uh, good weather overall, but there was a couple days when it was like low to mid nineties, um, which I, from what I understand is pretty hot up there. It's not too hot for uh, Texan, but, uh, you know, that was, uh, definitely something that played into our last hunt. Um, we kind of sold out, we moved for the last evening, uh, drove about an hour and a half down the road and set up on a pond that I could see from the aerial, uh, was super clear as compared to some of the other tanks around it. And it looked like to me that it was going to be spring fed. Um, it was really dry in Nebraska and everybody, all the locals talked about how dry it was this year while I was up there. So I thought, well, it's hard to find a, a tank or a pond that's got water in it right now. And so this spring fed pond, if it is spring fed, in fact, you know, should have some deer around it. It's about a mile in and we went in and hunted it. It had water uh, quite a bit and we had a really good hunt that evening. Actually, we saw about 15 deer um, and we just didn't have any, any bucks that uh, we felt we needed to take home come by us that evening but i think it's definitely a tactic if, if you get some heat uh this time of year for sure going forward then in this next week or so what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to ten in nebraska it's a good question i think that um you know that we're going to see cold weather coming in across most of the u.s um and I think that the big massive cold front is going to push a lot of animals around um and I think that it's going to get them up on their feet. Um, it looks like not just cold weather, but some snow and stuff like that. And I don't know exactly what the forecast is for Nebraska going forward. I'm kind of thinking about Colorado, but I would assume that uh, with that cooler weather that the deer are really going to start moving around. I don't know what that does to the corn crop. I don't know like uh, what colder temps might do to that crop and, and with the farmers and how when they would pull out corn and that kind of thing. Um, but I would assume that just overall general movement being that it seemed like it was good in the mornings or better in the mornings than the evenings because of the cool weather, I would assume that that cooler weather could definitely uh, bump the the movement up. So I would say like, if you're, if you're looking to hunt uh, on an early season pattern, uh, you've got, you know, you're going to look at like a six or seven on, on the movement scale. Um, and hopefully that leads us into some pre-rut stuff. All right, Tyler, great Intel. Good luck with the rest of your season. And thanks for joining me. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me, Spencer. All right, and joining us on the podcast next is Richard Peoples in South Carolina. Now, Richard in South Carolina, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? So I think as we're moving into September and right now, our buck movement has been about a 2 to a 2.5. Everything seems to be really nocturnal right now. And um, hopefully pushing forward, we're going to start to get into this next moon phase. And our buck activity will pick back up more in daylight, probably more in the mornings and afternoons. But as of right now, we're probably sitting at like a two, two and a half for daylight activity for bucks. South Carolina has one of the earliest openers in the country. And I know you've been hunting since the middle of August. So how has deer movement changed in the last three weeks or so? Well, as, as we're in our summer pattern and the deer are in velvet and they're really bachelored up, um, depending on your food sources on your property or where you hunt, uh, your daylight activity can be really good. If you have a good solid food source and the bachelor group close to bedding, um, a lot of times you have a lot of daylight activity. Um, my properties, I have food plots and, and feeders set up all year round. 
So my daylight activity is, is really good in the mornings and really good in the afternoons. But as the season opens and they start feeling that pressure, um, you know, your daylight activity starts to go down uh, as we start to move into September. And that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, it's just that transitional period between velvet summer patterns. We stripped velvet and now we're kind of going to, we have that lull between uh, velvet and then pre-rut and a, a lot of, a lot of stress on the animals as we have uh, hunting season now. And um, we're kind of in that lull period where everything's nocturnal. You mentioned food sources. What are some of the food sources that hunters should be keyed in on in that part of the country right now? Well, if you have beans, beans are king. Um, that if you have if you have a big bean field, uh, you're you're rolling the roost right now. Um, most deer this time of year are traveling miles to get to a good bean field. Um, I have some food plots uh, planted in Astronomy and Clover, which Astronomy, if you guys don't know, is also known as Deer Fetch. Um, which is very attractive as soon as it starts to bloom. Um, and that and some clover and uh, some clay peas is what I have planted right now with also, I was running protein and corn over the summer, which now we're switching more into just strictly corn. Um, but if you have a big bean field, uh, maybe even a cut corn field, those can also be very good uh, food attractants. It looks like the weather in that part of the country is pretty stagnant for the next week or so. Do you have any uh, special tactics or, or tips for people that are hunting when the weather's just 80 to 90 degrees every single day for like the next 10 days? Well, right now I, I've been checking the weather too, because this is uh, strictly when I, when I hunt is on when we get a cold front come down right now. And it looks like over the next three weeks, actually we have a couple I say cold fronts, but basically they're just low pressures moving down through the south. Um, and it will lower our temperatures, you know, for that three o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock range down into the 60 degrees. Um, so I'm looking for that first movement in daylight, maybe just stretch us out in after gray daylight and do hunting hours or legal shooting hours where maybe you get that five minutes where you get a buck moving in there. But, you know, that it's, you know, it's so hard right now this time of year with it being 90 degrees in the afternoon. So if you do get one of those little pressures and it gets you down in that 60 to 63 uh, degree range in the morning, maybe one of your bucks will stick around long enough to be able to get a shot on them. Early season in South Carolina is also your hurricane season. How do things change and, and how does your hunting change when you have a hurricane move in? Hurricane's approaching. Um, first thing first, let's get prepared for the hurricane. Make sure everything's good there. But for deer movement and for hunting, when you are prepared, uh, your house and all that, you got all your supplies. Um, as the hurricane's moving in, uh, you're going to start to get a big pressure change and deer and all the animals feel that pressure change. They know what's going on in the atmosphere and with the weather. Uh, so you're going to get a big movement of whitetail or of deer at some point. Um, and they're going to be hitting the food because you know, they're going to have to be bedded up for however long. Uh, so your food sources, again, are going to be key uh, to that you know, pressure change as some kind of storm system is moving in. Do you notice any shift in bedding from mid August until right now for mature bucks? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely notice, um, a shift in bedding, uh, in their summer patterns when they're all bachelored up. If we do have a heavy rainfall year, they're going to be up on the high ground, uh, in your, your planted pines. Normally your pines that have been planted in the last 10 years, uh, that are probably six to eight feet high where there's a lot of vegetation, um, and they can get in there and be able to get in the shade and bed down in there. 
earlier in the year. Uh, and I try to key in on those kind of uh, betting sources. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in South Carolina? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we're kind of getting a, a low-pressure system that's kind of going to come through this week. Um, so I'm hoping on the mornings are definitely going to be better, and I'm just going to try to catch uh, so that first hour of daylight. Um, I'm just hoping a buck stays up on their feet for that extra 10 minutes right now or 15 minutes. Uh, past legal shooting light and and maybe just catch them slipping other than that it's very hit or miss in the afternoons and i'm not seeing any deer movement on my cameras or while i'm in the stand for for the afternoons all right richard well i hope things turn around for you in south carolina good luck and thanks for joining me all right man, i appreciate it thank you good luck to everybody all right and joining us on the line next is alex comstock in north dakota from whitetail dna now, Alex, in North Dakota, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of 1 to 10? I'd say in the last week it's probably been at about an 8. We've uh, had some really good weather conditions in North Dakota that's elicited quite a bit of movement. We had six guys in deer camp over opening weekend, and pretty much I think every guy was seeing uh, shooter bucks and or having encounters with shooter bucks. A couple nights ago, you arrowed an awesome deer. Tell us about that hunt. Yeah, so that was actually a morning hunt. We got a substantial cold front that rolled through on uh, mon- like Sunday night into Monday. And so, you know, typically early season, I'm focusing on evening hunts as, you know, getting into a morning spot can be rather difficult. Um, but with the, it went from, you know, in the 80s to in the 40s. And so we slipped into a spot in the morning. Uh, we were in some oaks about 50 yards off a of bean field. And uh, we got set up about an hour and a half before first light. And as soon as it got light out, I could see deer out, you know, just shadows out in the beans. And there's a ton of deer in the beans. And they started working their way back towards me into the woods, towards their bedding. And I uh, had a nice uh, mature eight-pointer come through and kind of just read the script and uh, was able to arrow him at 30 yards working a scrape, actually. So it was, it was pretty cool. Hunting early season in the mornings, how close to the bedding are you actually getting? I'd, we weren't uh, terribly close to the bedding. I'd say within a few hundred yards, uh, but we we had to come through, I guess, where they probably were headed more to bed. And so that was why we wanted to get in so early because, you know, typically in the morning, the deer are already usually, you know, back to bed or close. And so on a typical morning, you probably are going to be busting deer going out. But with the, with the giant cold front that had rolled through, that allowed us, I think, to slip in essentially in the back door and uh, have a successful hunt. You mentioned that that buck was working a scrape. Did you see a lot of sign making when you were in North Dakota? The last couple of days I did. So we, I think, you know, kind of as soon as, uh, you know, as their velvet's getting ready to come off or as they're, as they're shedding velvet, you know, they're starting to actually work the ground and start making these scrapes and, uh, you know, using them more, I think is just a communication tool, but there was a couple of spots we had where scrapes were popping up that weren't there, you know, opening night and were there two days later early season in a western state on public land what are the specific things that you're looking for when you set a tree stand right now i'm looking for areas that aren't getting aren't getting hunting pressure that are close to you know usually bean fields are kind of the food source that i'm seeing most of the deer on and i'm trying to find areas that are secluded so that's what we were really noticing was areas that were secluded that were back you know you couldn't see from the road um, where you could get in and there was no hunting pressure. We were seeing a lot of deer movement in areas like that. 
besides beans, what other food sources are you looking for this time of year? Other than beans, you know, there are, you know, there are a lot of wheat fields that seem to me that as soon as they get cut, the deer were hitting them. And the wheat fields this time of year, especially in, you know, areas like North Dakota are getting cut right now. So a fresh cut wheat field, you know, if that was, we had a couple spots like that, that would butt up to either some cattail sloughs for bedding or a standing cornfield, something like that, where it gave them still some cover. Because the one thing with the cut wheat field is, is, you know, you have no cover at all. And so something like that can be definitely something to key on. When you're planning a hunt for September, does water factor into your decision-making at all? It typically does. We have a couple spots, um, one in particular where actually another guy killed in camp on the second night that's really close to a pond. We weren't hunting directly over it, um, but definitely if you can find a good water source, I find that to be pretty important. After spending about a week in North Dakota, what percentage of bucks uh, would you say right now are still in velvet? I'd say probably only about 20%. Most of the bucks I was seeing was uh, were already hard-horned. Going forward and then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of 1 to 10 in North Dakota? I put it at about a 5 or a 6. The, the temperatures overall are going to be not bad um, compared to year over year as it'll be in the low to mid-70s. But after getting that initial cold front where it was down, you know, today the high was 50. Um, it's going to kind of go up from there. So I put it back down to about a five or six. All right, Alex, well, congrats again on the awesome book. Good luck for the rest of your season. Thanks for joining me. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Spencer. All right. And joining us on the line next is Greg Farrell from First Light in Kentucky. Now, Greg, in Kentucky, what would you say the buck activity has been lately on a scale of one to 10? I would say where we are, we're in Butler County. Um, it's probably been about a seven. Um, Right now, we've noticed that bucks are definitely still on the tail end of their summer pattern. So we're able to we were able to find them um, and kind of hone in on them based off of those feeding patterns, you know, that you're used to seeing in these early fall, late summer months. So coming out into the fields, you know, still half an hour, 45 minutes before dark. Um, so because of that, um, the fact that they're still on some of the summer feeding patterns, um, it's actually been been pretty good by us. You just arrowed a great buck last night. Tell us about that hunt. Yeah, so we were um, we kind of came in blind to this property that we're hunting this week. Um, we got in day before season opened um, and did some scouting um, from a distance, basically through spotters and binos. Um, and then our kind of our game plan for this week, since we had never hunted this property, was to kind of play it conservative. Um, at least the first three days, um, figure out what those deer are doing. Um, then just kind of slowly chip away at them, you know, getting closer and closer to bedding areas. Um, but doing so in a way that, um, we weren't busting them out of there in the first, first few days. So, um, this is kind of the culmination of that. Um, it was a buck we found the first night actually in a bachelor group, um, when we were doing that scouting and after this was the third sit. So basically just kind of moving closer and closer, learning about where they were coming out and kind of what they were feeding towards. Um, and eventually was able to get in the right tree, um, flip an arrow in them at about 40 yards. You mentioned that those deer are still in their summer pattern. How much longer do you think that summer pattern is going to last? You know, where we are, I think you probably have maybe throughout this week, depending on, you know, geographically where you're located um, in reference to where we are in Kentucky. Um, 
really for us, we, especially like Friday and Saturday. So Friday was scouting Saturday was first day of season. Um, and both of those sits, we were seeing a lot of bucks still in bachelor groups, definitely still on those feeding patterns um, and kind of following the same script every night, um, which, you know, is indication of, of summer feeding patterns for sure. Um, but actually, interestingly enough, um, the few days after that, a few of these bachelor groups that we had been watching um, started to lose one, two, three of those deer and break up. Um, and then actually the the deer that I shot last night, um, he was actually fully solo uh, last night. And when we recovered him, he was actually starting to lose uh, some of the velvet on one of his sides. So I think within the next probably five to seven days, um, in the majority of the state, you're going to see that transition of deer off of that summer pattern into more of an early fall um, range and pattern. With this being your first trip to the property, I assume that you threw up some trail cameras while you were there. Where are you focusing your trail cameras this time of year? Yeah, we definitely did. Um, and like I said, our strategy, because we had not set foot on this, I mean, we had we did a ton of e-scouting um, and we were pretty confident that we had both bedding, travel corridors, and evening feeding pegged down. Um, but without actually having hunted this property, we wanted to make sure that we had that figured out before we went tromping in. So what we tried to do is um, we put a bunch of cell cameras up actually um, on field edges as to not be intrusive, um, but kind of use it as like a confirmation on the data that we were finding during our hunts and our, our scouting. Um, now as the hunt goes on, we still have, um, one guy in camp with a tag, um, we're kind of changing our strategy. So we're getting a little bit more aggressive, moving in a little bit closer to, uh, where these bucks are bedding and we're moving our cameras with us as we do that. Um, not making specific trips into hang cameras, but as we're moving in through these areas to, you know, do hanging hunts essentially every night, bringing those cameras in with us, um, as a confirmation of that information. Besides beans, what other food sources should hunters be focused on in Kentucky? Right now, honestly, I would say beans would be the primary. Um, by us, they're still green. I know as we were kind of traveling to the property, um, we did see some fields that were starting to turn brown. But with those, those green um, bean food sources, they're definitely honed in on those. Um, it seems like the areas that have corn, um, it's more holding deer than they're hitting too hard. They seem to still be coming out of the cord and heading towards those beans. So whether you have beans on your property or um, a neighboring property, I would be focusing on understanding that those deer eventually want to be in those bean fields at night um, while they're still green and before they're kind of browning up. Going forward then in this next week or so, what do you think that buck activity is going to be on a scale of one to 10 in Kentucky? I would say you're going to see a drop from that, you know, like six, seven, like we've been seeing, um, probably down to, you know, fours, um, maybe even threes as those bucks kind of go a bit more nocturnal, um, and get into their solo, um, fall, um, kind of patterns, both feeding, bedding, um, travel corridors, etc. All right, Greg, well, congrats again on the awesome book. Good luck for the rest of your season. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And that concludes the first episode of Season 5 of Rut Fresh Radio. Thanks to Tyler, Richard, Alex, and Greg for joining me, and thank you guys for listening. I'm thrilled that fall is here, and I look forward to the next 15 weeks of recording these episodes and talking deer hunting on every Wednesday this fall.
If you like this podcast, then make sure you're regularly checking out TheMeatEater.com. We're going to have tons of written reports that are just like this podcast, as well as a bunch of great articles from me, Mark Kenyon, Tony Peterson, and others. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Until then, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.